guys, welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And we have a very special guest in studio, Mr. Glenn Cordell. How's it going, man? Doing all right. Thanks it's, for having me, guys. It's, it's great to have you here. Glenn is an artist and an engineer. You've seen his work in Triple Zero, and he has a very special project that he's going to talk about that he's working with Sung Kang of Fast and Furious fame. I can't wait to hear about that. But before we get into our interview with Glenn, what have you got for us? Yeah, well, let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Petrolbox. Petrolbox is a monthly subscription service specifically made for the automotive enthusiasts. Each month, they carefully select items, including tools, detailing supplies, apparel, garage gear, stickers, publications, all that good stuff, and send it right there to your doorstep. Now, there's actually two different levels of subscription to choose from. You have the Petrolbox Basic, which costs less than 20 bucks a month, while the Petrolbox Premium gets you even more gear for $39.95 a month. Check them out at mypetrolbox.com and use the code OVERCREST at checkout to get $6 off your first month's order. So did anything interesting happen to you? Are you you've got something on the show notes here that says sister's mini debacle. Yeah. What, what is this? <laughs> right, so my Feel sister, free to chime in anytime, Glenn. You just, you just hang yeah. out with whatever you want. Yeah. Right uh, so my sister has this mini country, not countryman. Which one's the, yeah, countryman. Clubman. The SUV. Clubman? Countryman. Countryman? Countryman. Countryman. I think it's a Clubman. No, Clubman is the extended one. Like is that what it is? Extended cab. Oh, I thought that's what it was. No, the Countryman this, is like the mini SUV. I don't like these cars. I don't either. They are just the most plasticky. You rode in this, didn't you? I when did, I drove it, it for like, a while. It was like clunk, clunk, squeak, squeak, yeah. rattle, rattle, thunder, clatter, boom, boom, boom. boom. Don't worry. <laughs> Call the car X man. Um, so anyways, she's like, hey, can you change my oil for me? I don't want to bring it to like the quickie lube or whatever because I... Like, she's like, I like you looking at it. Because they're going to sell you fishing lures along with your windshield wipers. Exactly. Really? Yeah. That's what, the, I mean, just one time when I first met her, uh -huh. way back when came home with like a $50 <laughs> fishing, like a wrap up fishing lure that they sold her with a special edition oil change. Special Which, edition I, oil oh, change. No. This is the special it's edition. limited edition as in we'll see you in three months. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so anyways, she's like, I want you to do my oil change. I was like, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. Bring me a case of beer and I'll do it for you. And what I forgot to mention is when I borrowed for a case of beer on what car, what difference does it make? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> that sounds like a pretty good deal. Yeah. I mean, what I kind am of beer because we can go cheap. Oh, I usually I do go cheap too, like hams. <laughs> no, so when I was driving the car, because this was right when this is before we bought another car after the yeah. truck went kaput and then the Audi got smushed. And so I was driving it for a while and I was like, Becky, this clutch is going out. Like it's slipping like crazy. She's yep. like, yeah. And so she brought it to a shop and they quoted her like five grand to do it because they're like, it's terrible. These clutches are terrible. They go out every 20,000 miles on these cars. They're terrible. And then she found some like some little shop in Stillwater that's like, we'll do it for two grand. Oh no. And I was like, don't do that. And so she's like, yeah, all right. So had the clutch done. She's like, it works great. It's fine. Got a great deal. They did deal. a good job. Great job. And they were killed at like <sighs> at like 10 hours of doing it. They were like, oh my God, we yes, we totally exactly. But so as I'm getting or I'm doing the oil change, I get under there and go, um, Becky, what is this? And I'm going to show you a photo first okay, to this. show you where it is in relation to the car. So that's the exhaust pipe. Yeah, that's the transmission housing on the right there. Yep. Yeah, okay. And this is zoomed in at what I was looking at. Can you zoom in on that a little no. bit more? What do yep. we got there? So this is in the bell housing in between the transmission and the engine. It's an aluminum no. cast bell Hold on housing. A second. That is, that's, it's. They that's took it's a, a whole saw, saw <laughs> to the aluminum transmission housing. They cut oh. a hole. Oh my God. And then JB welded it back together. Why? Wow. The only thing I can think of is this was their access hole to inspect or inspection hole to inspect the clutch. So they cut a hole in the they transmission to look at the, the clutch transmission. to make sure it was bad. Yes. Before removing it. That is my assumption. That's the only oh. reason you would oh cut a hole right there. Oh my God. I don't believe that's actual. I feel like that may be Photoshopped. Right. That's, no, it's oh there. I was like, what? And so... Did you go on any mini forums or anything to find out? No, like, I hadn't. But that's the only thing I can think of is either they're designed weird, like there isn't a inspection hole or like the the master or the slave cylinder for the clutch there is right there though. So you could just unbolt that, remove that and be able to see your clutch surface. I I don't no, know. No, you can't. There's no, there's no explanation why they drilled this hole though. 
Right. That is not the correct way to do things. I cannot believe that. Well, I, I guess know. that's what you get for $2,000. So I told my sister <laughs> and she's like, was that there before? Like, is there any way that somehow that was bef there before? And I was like, no, because I changed her oil before and I would have noticed that. Right. Her. So they cut a hole in and the actual transmission. When I took it to this other shop for her to have them give me the $5,000 quote, I called him back up. I was like, so did you guys see anything weird? He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, and so I sent him this photo. He's like, no, we would have brought that to your attention okay. when we checked it out. So these guys definitely, definitely what's, did what's it. the, what's what now? I don't know. I told my brother-in-law about it and he's like talking to the shop. You can't, oh, you cannot. Oh, <laughs> that is an expensive mistake. How, well, what part of you would go? Well, I guess I'm just going to cut a hole in the bottom of the transmission. With a hole with saw. With a bi-metal hole saw. With yes. Saw. Now here's the thing. Uh, when you rebuild a 911 engine, there's you a cut lot. a lot of holes in it. No, you don't. No, <laughs> no but you have these. Only these, on uh, bad days. The, the little plugs, and you JB weld over them. The freeze plugs. The freeze plugs. Yeah, yeah that's you, pretty standard. Yeah, you JB weld over them so that they don't come out, don't leak, whatever. Sure. So JB weld is not, and sometimes it if you have it. It shouldn't be used to actually weld a lot, material. A lot of places on a 911 engine that have cracked for people that they put JB weld on the case or, or whatever, and it's been fine. Really? I know people have done it and they've driven the cars hundreds of thousands of miles after they've JB weld a part on like the a part on the case that broke, whether it's from a slip jack or whatever. And it's been okay. Is that what a reputable shop would do? No. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Well, it's not what a and I wouldn't expect reputable or unreputable to do something like that. I know. I mean, I've seen shady shops where they'll do something. They'll do it. Here's the deal. You already brought it in to have the clutch in. If you're a shady shop and it didn't need a clutch, you just do the clutch anyway because they said right. they needed a clutch. Right. Just Good do the point. clutch. Unless they forgot to like assemble something and they're like, there's no way we're pulling the engine back out and splitting it. Cut an access hole so we can get that last bolt in there or whatever it is. That's probably more likely. Did you, you should post on a mini forum on a Reddit or something like that and just say, hey, what do you think this is? And then report back. I'd like to know. Okay. I will do that. All right. Let's talk to Glenn. How's it going, man? It's going really well, man. Uh, I'm shocked to see the hole in the bell house. <laughs> yeah. Where did we meet? I can't. I have, a, I have a notoriously bad memory. I don't remember. It had to have been at least 14, 14, 13, 14 years mm. ago. Yeah, I would say it was probably around 2002-ish. Oh, my and God. And it was yeah. through a Volkswagen club. Yeah, Volkswagen. Yep, and the first time I met you, uh, I was wearing a really douchey hat. You were. And you did were. Did he call that out? Uh, I don't think he did at the time. He was pretty kind, but uh, see everybody. He's changed. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did. He didn't know me. I was just some random rando that uh, was wearing a dumb hat in a tropic orange GTI. Yeah, tropic which orange is GTI. A color you don't see ever anymore. Yeah, I've, I've kind of had a thing for like in interesting colors, interesting factory colors on cars uh, that I've owned, and so it's it's carried me through a lot of vehicles. Yeah, yeah. So what? Uh, uh, you said you were about to say something about me after we met. What? Oh yeah, you were also wearing something really douchey. What was it? I don't remember. Ah, you, guys, <laughs> you guys bonded together over that. <laughs> and then we, at some point, we became roommates and, and great friends. And it's uh, it's been cool to see that uh, how many cars you've owned over the years. See your development as an artist and everything like that. And uh, I remember when we first met, you you were still you were drawing and you were showing me drawings that you'd done. Um, did you do a lot of drawings of cars as a kid? Or yeah, I've been I've been drawing cars since you know i think the first drawing i ever did and i pretty distinct distinctly remember it i was tracing over a picture with a piece of tracing paper just because i couldn't draw and i don't know i was probably in second grade third grade and it was just a car and i've been drawing cars ever since uh profile views angled views all kinds of stuff and uh I never did it in college. Actually, growing up, I did want to be a car designer. That was the thing that I wanted to do. That was the do. dream? Yeah. And, and you know, for a while, I wanted to be a fireman, too. But a car designer was <laughs> it. And um, so I didn't have, like, uh, the funds to, like, do, like, the big colleges and, like, to yep. go out to California and all that. And so I just kind of I did the next best thing, which is just a mechanical designer. Went to school for that. And now I get to do car stuff for fun. Yeah. So what kind of cars were you drawing back then as you were, what were you into? Like, what, is there anything that was particularly drawing your attention? Uh, when I was really young, there was nothing specifically that was drawn me in. Uh, going into high school, I was into the lowrider scene. Okay. And, you know, cause I was listening to rap and it was just like, oh man, God, get me a 64. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then, you know, I wanted an Impala SS, like the 96, you know, 
the sure. bottom tower. It's like a big caprice, like oh whatever, yeah, but whatever. And then um, somewhere along the line, um, I started liking. What happened? Oh, I, I remember what it was. It was after I had, I think it was my second car, and I was driving down the road and I saw this Mark II GTI sitting for sale, and I was like, man, that thing is dope. <laughs> <laughs> so it looked really, really good, and I had no clue about anything with Volkswagens or anything, but I liked the way it looked, and so that kind of got me down the path of European cars. What was the first European car that you ended up with? Uh, the first one was that GTI. Okay. So, so what were you driving at the time when you got the GTI? Um all right, so th- this is an interesting story. The first car I owned uh, was before I got my license, and I sold it right when I got my license. So it was a Beretta GT. Ooh, and, uh, yes. My first girlfriend had a Beretta GT. There's some Those things can have some good experiences. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this was not one of those experiences. <laughs> so we, I, like, was it maroon? Why do I picture every Beretta as maroon? No, this was, it was a really nice color. It was like a gunmetal, and it looked cool, but it was just kind of a a dog yeah, <laughs> it smelled bad and everything. So <laughs> when I got my license, I sold it right away and I bought a XJ, a Jeep Cherokee, which was awesome. And, uh, ended up hitting a tree with that. That was, oh, no. but <laughs> those trees just jump out of nowhere. They do. And, uh, yeah, but it, anyway, so then I got into the GTI and so that was the, that was the money car. So did you, speaking of running into trees and stuff like that, did you have any like harrowing driving experiences when you were, when you were young and you like extremely dumb things that maybe weren't so, uh, I guess, I mean, it, it was probably that accident with the Jeep. What happened? What happened with the it Jeep? Was, it was in winter time and I was cruising around. I had it, you know, you could switch it between four, uh, four high and four low or sure. and two high. And, uh, so I was just cruising around. I just had it in two wheel drive cause you could, you know, hang the back end out a little bit. Uh, jumped, went over some railroad tracks. I did not jump over the railroad tracks, uh, but upon you know the suspension getting upset, the back end kind of just cut loose and I counter steered a little bit. But you know I was pretty young and I just slid into driver's side and uh, hit this. Actually, it wasn't a tree; it was a power line or a power power pole. pole yeah. yeah, and so hit right where the firewall meets up with the side of the vehicle, and so it was. That's the end of that. Yeah, it was the end of that, and. Uh, What's your most memorable experience with me when we, from when we were roommates? I guess one of the most memorable was when we painted my uh, second, third Volkswagen Rabbit. With and, the roller? Uh, yeah. Wait, really? No, 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 no. Not that one. With The, the one that we sprayed with. <laughs> <laughs> that was <laughs> We did a roller, Rust-Oleum roller job, which. Which took forever. It really? took forever, but it, it like fit like the build of the car. You know, it was it was a ratty. That was the turbo ABA. Yeah, yeah. That and was the Boost Factory days, man. Yeah. That was uh, that was a good time. It was fun. It had its moments. You know, what sure. my most memorable experience at the Boost Factory was was having Chuck what Bauer. Is, what is the Boost Factory? It was an old shop. Okay, and it was in like this in this little hole in the wall place. And I remember he was doing some chip tuning on my car or whatever on my ABA that I had at the time. I had an ABA Rabbit. And uh, I guess we did a busted on a ball joint or something. And I remember pulling, oh, I think this actually might have been the 16-valve Cabriolet that I had. The yes. gray one. Yeah. And I remember backing it out of the shop and the ball joint fell off. <laughs> and the wheel just like popped out. It was just like a total disaster. That was uh, you, Hold on. You had a Cabrio, huh? I had cab- a, a rabbit convertible, actually. Okay. It was not a Cabriolet. It didn't have the body kit or anything like that. It's just a rabbit convertible. Interesting. And it's the only convertible I ever or will ever own. Yeah. I just don't have any interest in, in owning any convertibles. But the, uh, so tell me about this, this thing you were going to say with the rabbit. Uh, so the other rabbit that we painted in Centerville. The, oh, the, the Nyari Silver one. Yes, the Nyari Silver. That was a lot of fun. That garage we were just was hanging good. out in the garage and... Hang up plastic like sheets spray, and spray paint. No, this was actually using a spray gun. Okay, and a real paint. It, yeah, it, a ton <laughs> of orange peel. Oh. A ton of orange peel. Was, yeah. Apart from the orange peel, it was really good. <laughs> so I, I've always wondered. There, I think peak garage time for you and I was when we were in Savage, and I had the rabbit. You had the, you had a rabbit. Yeah. With the, with the, with the roller paint at the time. I yep. think that was the ABA Turbo Rabbit. That was the ABA and I had a. Uh, uh, the individual throttle body mega squirt rabbit with yeah. the with a 16 valve engine in it and i remember you smashing that car <laughs> with a jack handle uh, like taking it to the hood what what it was, was a bat wait what, what, out of <laughs> anger oh yeah that, that his was his car no no no, 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 no. Not his, like own car. Car. his own car what what happened uh well f- 
first of all, I had the E30 at the time too. And right. That was, that was one of my prime old school cars that like, man, I regret selling that thing, but it was fun. Anyway, so the Rabbit, um, that was a combination of frustration with the car, frustration with like relationship stuff. And it was just like, man, I've just, I've just got a whole lot of frustration going on. And I was <laughs> Plus young. that ride, you're laying in an inch of water anytime you remember that. Like yeah. it was like always flooded. <laughs> the drive shaft. <laughs> oh my God. Doing that drive shaft in the water on the E30 was like. In the winter the- in Minnesota. Because oh. it, it was like no melted heat. cold water and no heat. It was, <laughs> it was so know. bad. That's one of the most, conf- that garage had one of the most confusing project moments I've ever had. Do you remember the toilet bowl sound that my rabbit made? <laughs> <laughs> like the. So you would, nope. you would, this was a, uh, it was a 1.8 16 valve and it had a uh, Gixxer like 800 throttle yeah, bodies on it sure. and it had mega squirt and the thing had crazy throttle response. It was oh, awesome. It was cool. And it did, uh, it was stock 1.8 16 valve and did like 125 horsepower okay. and they made uh, like 115 stock. So it sure. made good power for what it was. And I remember pulling it in. Actually, this engine might have been the 16 valve ABA. I think it was. <laughs> There's been so, so many. many. There's so been many. so many. So I think this was a 16 valve ABA. I remember. Okay, hold on. Back up. Back rewind. Up. This engine. Uh-huh. So I flew out to New Jersey to buy Jersey, which is Jess's rabbit. Hence the name. Hence Jersey. the name Jersey. Gotcha. And I found an engine that I wanted to put in my car when I got home and we threw it in the back of Jess's rabbit in Pennsylvania and drove it all the way home. It was a 2.1 16 valve ABA with 12 and a half to one compression (laughs) with like uh, 288 cams. It was a hot motor. The thing was killer. And uh, that was, that's, I ended up putting it in the car and I put the throttle bodies on it. Okay. And the thing, it was insane. It was fast. It was wheel spin. I had like stock steelies on it. Yeah. And it was just like, wow, just like tires <laughs> all the time. Super fun. And then I remember like turning it off in the garage one day and it sounded like someone was like a prison toilet with marbles going down. <laughs> Why is it a prison toilet? Because it's metal. Because <laughs> it's like if you were to take marbles and throw so them hold into on, a prison. Hold on, I'm just pausing. Are you very familiar with this sound then, Chris? <laughs> I'm not, but that, I'm imagining that's what it's sounding. Every time you would turn it off, it would make like this rotational sound. And I could not figure out what it was. So finally I pulled the, it didn't seem to affect anything. Like okay. it ran great. No problem. Every time you turned off, it just was like, <laughs> were like, it's just the clattering sound is like a, a rotational thing that would slow down very slowly and eventually stop after the engine was off. Right. What do you think it could be? Like it, it has a, to be like a cooling fan I, it's, or I couldn't, it was very mechanical sounding. Okay. And it, I remember Glenn going, I don't know what this is. This is like, <laughs> you're standing there listening to it. He's, nothing's rotating outside the engine. It's obviously something internal. And after the engine has stopped, it still is making this rotational noise. Can't figure it out. Just cannot figure it out. That so doesn't I, make any sense. So I decided to take the oil pan off. Yeah. And what happened was the, what happens to these ABAs that have crazy throttle response is there's a, a crank sensor trigger wheel that bolts to the crank with three Allens. Okay. The throttle response was so crazy that it ripped those three <laughs> Allen bolts off the fl- off the crank sensor trigger wheel. Okay. And that was spinning freely on the crank. <laughs> so the three so bolts. So you turn it off yeah. and it's just, Yeah, that thing was just <laughs> rattling around and slowing down. Uh, <laughs> That was the most, I remember that. No, that was, was the craziest <laughs> thing that ever. So then how did I get it off? Because I didn't want to pull the crank out. No. Right. I did not want to pull the oh, crank you just, out. You just cut it, right? How? Cut what? It's 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 a little circle that it bolts to the crank. There's not a lot of clearance. So I had to take a vice grip uh-huh. and basically bend back and forth. Oh. Like centimeter by centimeter by centimeter till I was finally able to just rip this thing out of there. And I should have kept it. But I remember <laughs> the moment that that thing slid off the crankshaft. That was... Oh, just don't angels. you need the crank sensor? Not with no. I was running uh, Alpha N with Mega Squirt. Oh, so that I didn't need it. ignition as well. Yeah, I just I, I didn't you. need it at all. There you was know, no. You could have used JB Weld there. I heard. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. right. That's I should have uh, just cut a hole in the oil pan. <laughs> that would have been much easier, Chris. <laughs> JB Weld oil pan back together. Not a sponsor. Yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's an idea. I, uh, um, I want to have them on the podcast to talk about JB Weld. I still want to know how yeah. it works. Anyway, that car also I remember driving it, and the good. This is all bringing back great memories of stuff I never would have remember to begin with 
And I had a complete failure of the ignition system. I was driving. I was like, whoop. And it was like, <laughs> And it started making these terrible sounds. The distributor fell off the car. <laughs> like, I had not tightened it down, and the distributor fell off on the well, side of the road. Well, at least it didn't, like, pull timing weird, where all of a sudden it was going to be detonating. Oh, I probably did. Oh, it cool. Well, so what ended up happening to that engine is I ended up putting side draft carburetors on it with no filters. And it Because it's cool. It yeah, looks right. cool and it sounds cool. And, but it sucks something into the motor. Yeah. And the thing was uh, 84 and a half bore, I think, is the bore on those. 84 and a half? I'm not sure. I don't remember. But it was a 2-1. And it could not be overboard anymore. Oh. So the whole block was ruined yeah. because of that. So I couldn't. It just lost all compression. It looked like some like a like a cat with diamond claws <laughs> that tried to <laughs> crawl out of the cylinder. It was just these lines going down. Oh, no. And that was, that was super sad. So then the next engine was this motor that was ported in a just polished so bad so the guy poured it and polished it i didn't know i took the intake manifold off looked at it he poured the cylinder had so much that you could see in between each each uh intake runner inside <laughs> the in, you could see right through yeah like the split in between right. the valves yeah in between yeah. It, was, it was gone it was it was no, so poured no. and polished anyway so your e30 yeah. was one of the cars that you've loved and i i miss mine too why don't you tell me about yours and where uh, you got it i've had three of them so far this one the first one was the best by far that was it the was gray one the gray one um with, i forgot with the, the little dude hanging from the <laughs> tow hook <laughs> the cat yeah the little yeah. cat the dead cat hanging from the tow oh hook. that was fun getting pulled over for that <laughs> Wait, um, was it actually a dead cat? No, it was a stuffed cat on, that dude. had realistic well, I fur. I don't know. And it was caked in like road grime. And so so it, it looked, looked like it a looked real like cat. like a dead cat, yeah. You got pulled over for this. Yeah, I got what pulled over. Excuse me, sir. Yeah, he's like, uh, I don't know if you know this, but you have this stuffed animal on your bumper. And I made up a story at the time. And I was like, oh, oh yeah. shoot, my sister put it. No, there. I was like, we do this prank where we yeah. hide this cat all over the place. And of course, I put it there purposely, but... Uh, he didn't need to know that. And he's like, all right, well, drive safe. Okay. Like, what What law were you breaking? What statute is that? The, right. uh, the, the cat law? You know, I don't think it was a cat law, but, you know, he's a concerned officer. He sees an animal yeah. potentially hanging from a car, and he's like, well, let's check this out. You've had some pretty harrowing experiences in that You, you that know what car, you right? should? Yeah, hold so. on, hold on. You know what you should have said? That damn cat was being so annoying, <laughs> I had to teach it a lesson, officer. Yeah, that would have ended up um, interesting. Yeah, for sure. Then, then he would have gone, dude, sorry, your cat's not real. It's a stuffed animal, and you'd, you'd get hauled <gasps> out just like you had <laughs> So bringing that car home was an adventure. Yeah, so I bought that one out in uh, L.A., and I drove it home over Thanksgiving uh, weekend, long weekend. I flew out with a friend, and we kind of took turns driving it back. It was a whole big mess of a trip, but we did make it back safely, and the car was in one piece mostly. So I think it was a success overall. What was the what was uh, tough about the trip back? So first of all, the car had summer tires on it, uh, mismatched. The rears were basically bald. The fronts were not good, uh, but they had some tread, and they were, but they were kind of dry rotted. Right. Anyways, we started driving, got into the mountains and Utah and Colorado, and it was almost dying. Uh, a few times, and then uh, we're like, all right, we got to get some, some tire chains for this thing because it had limited slip, which was probably its only saving grace because uh, there was a lot of uh, things that we wouldn't have been able to get up or even stay on the road probably if it was a single wheel pulling that thing around. But we stopped to try and get some tire chains, and we got these ones that are low profile to fit anything and try to strap them on, but it was like it was a really low E30, so it was just touching the inside of the fender wells the entire time. So we're like, okay, that's not going to work. Took him back off, and actually, I got a backup. We did try and get a set of tires when we were in Vegas, and uh, they didn't have anything that would fit. Uh, so they, they had something that might have been close. So they put them on, but then it was just rubbing the fenders, and so they put the, the regular crappy ones back on, and we're like, all right, let's, Good let's luck. just go for it. See you later. Godspeed. Yeah, so... Uh, Got through Colorado, stayed with my sister there. Um, she was living in Denver, and uh, we thought that was, you know, we're through it, you know, because it was just a huge winter storm that was going through the mountains. And we're like, all right, we went snowboarding, you know, it was all right. And then um, we left Colorado, or we were leaving Colorado, and the snowstorm was just, like, kind of tracking us the whole way. So we're getting over towards Nebraska, which is my least favorite state to drive through. And right when we got across the border, the, they had big uh, gates up, closing down the highway. And we're like, all right, well, I guess we'll try and find some back roads. So we took back roads uh, straight north into South Dakota. And um, when we finally got, I don't know what the big highway is in South Dakota, that goes east-west. It's 90. Not, 90. Is it 90 up yeah, there? Yeah, I think it's 90. 
man, we got to 90, and, like, right when we got there, the gates were closed there, too. And I'm like, all right, well, around the gates we go. <laughs> so we drove around <laughs> the gates. That was the obvious decision. Because here's the thing, though. It was, the wind was blowing very hard, and it was snowing, and so, like, the snow was blowing really hard. It had really poor visibility, but we're in a lower D30, so this thing isn't tipping over. And the roads were clear because the wind was just blowing all the snow off the roads. So we're like... You know, whatever. Let's get it's on the fine. highway. It's we'll fine. Right. What's the worst that can happen? It's what's, fine. The, what's the worst that can happen? We we're, could die. <laughs> <laughs> so we we're on ninety going through South Dakota, and we were doing. And I, I mean, literally, we were like looking out the front window windshield, like for a second or two, and then looking down out the side window to make sure, like, we could still see the lines because the visibility was nothing. And uh, we were doing this for, I think it was like an hour and a half or something, maybe going 10, 50 miles an hour on the highway. Nor the cars around, of course, because it was locked down. So we weren't too worried about hitting other people. But still, you know, it was just like slow going. And so after a while, like I would touch the brake and hear like a bang, bang. I'm like, oh, no. Like, what's going on? And like, so we kept going a little bit, kept going. And whenever we'd touch the brake, there would be this huge banging sound. From where? Where was the sound coming from? From the front end, like suspension wheel, just somewhere in the front end. And it was blowing so badly, we couldn't really just like nail down where the sound was coming from. It was just up there somewhere, just banging around. Um, So anyways, we were driving, and finally I'm like, you know what, I got to check out what's going on because I don't want you know a wheel to fall off when we're in the middle of this blizzard. And the road we're not supposed to be on. on. The road we're, we're not supposed to be on. So we pull over the side of the road, uh, we get out. We had all our snow burning stuff with us. So we got our goggles and we're like our full kit going on and jack up the front of the car, take the wheel off. And one of the caliper bolts had backed its way out and lost oh. itself somewhere between us and like 20 miles ago. And so we're like, all right, well, um, so we grabbed it. We had, um, so the, all right, back up. This car came with. Um, the driver's seat was like a replica bride, like a racing seat. Right. And so he had like the factory, like sports seat with it too. And so we had that in the, in the trunk all like taken apart and we're like, all right, grab a chunk of like just thick wire off of that thing and wire this caliper on so it won't bang around and just kind of limp it to wherever we're going to go. Like next. from the wire, from the support of the seat or right. something like yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. From like the guts of the seat. And so, uh. Did it work? <clears throat> so yeah, it worked. It worked great. You know, we put the wheel back on and dropped it down. And like, as like we're putting all the stuff away, that's when we noticed all the state troopers show up. <laughs> <laughs> so we turn around, literally, and we didn't see them like arrive just because the visibility was terrible. We turn around. I wonder how long they're standing there with their arms crossed, <laughs> just like look at these idiots. There's four of these guys and explorers, like all decked out in their like fur hats, like Fargo style. And <laughs> the guy's like, "Do you know that the highway is close?" And we're like. What? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he's like, "All right, you guys got to follow me." I'm like, "Come on, man!" And he's like, "No, the highway is closed. Like, it's really dangerous. You could die out here." I'm like, oh, "Okay, we're young. We're like, we can't die." But You're ending up in a wood chipper. Yeah. So, uh, so he's like, "All right, well, I guess we can. You can come with." He wanted to just put us in the back of his car and leave our car there. And I was like, huh. "But dude, we just got it going. We'll follow you." He's like, mm, "Okay." So. We start following him, and first thing he does is, like, hightails it through the ditch up onto the other side to go the opposite direction. <laughs> He's like, let's see these kids. Yeah, dude. so we're like, oh, let's do it. And so <laughs> we did it, and the car made it fine. Again, there was blowing snow, so there was, like, you know, maybe half an inch of snow like, in the ground. to the floor the whole right. way. We Just... made it through, and then we're following this guy back. Like, you know, his taillights were right in front of us, but still we couldn't see him very well, and he was doing probably 10 over what we were doing, so we were a little freaked out, but... Anyways, he brings us back to the exact, uh, <laughs> the exact exit that we got on at. Oh no! On the other side of the highway, so we didn't know this at the time, but like, because we couldn't see it. But on the other side of the highway from us, there was a whole big like community. There was like a <laughs> hotel and a gas station. <laughs> so he brings us there, and and he's like, "All right, you guys have to stay here. Don't leave." We're like, "Okay, officer." And but there's a bunch of people that were all holed up there. Stayed the night. On on the Google, we discovered that a lug bolt can double as a, a brake caliper bolt. It's the same pitch. And yeah, that's what right. I was going to wonder, if you could find another bolt somewhere. Yeah, so we just pulled the bolt off one of the wheels. We did. Because <laughs> that's better. <laughs> it is. <laughs> hey, yeah. smart cars only have three. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was fine. You know, we... Kept a caliper on, and so that and the the seat was pretty trash, and we ended up ditching that in the dumpster there. Uh, the next day, the highway was still closed, but we formed an alliance with like 
two other groups of people that were also <laughs> like trapped <laughs> there. And they're like, all right, we're going to make our way. Out. Survivor. There was, there was a guy and his daughter who were like skiing in Utah and they had a Land Rover. Then there's these other two guys that were hunting and they had like something like a thousand pounds of elk meat or something in their field. And it wasn't a thousand pounds, but it was a lot of elk meat in their, in their car. And so like, we got to get out of here. We'll go through, bust through any like big snow drifts. And then you can just follow through. I'm like, okay. And so we followed these guys back roads through South Dakota into Minnesota. And by that time, all the, all the weather was okay. And so we were able to get on the highway. That's, wow. That's great. Well, at least you made it back. I like the, uh, there's always another bolt on the car. Right. Right. There's yeah. always like, you always try to, I was trying to imagine what I would do in that situation um, is just find another bolt. Uh, so you, what other cars have you owned that, that are worth oh, noting? Man. All right. So I had three thirties, I had three Mark one rabbits, I had Mark II uh, Volkswagen GTI, the first one that I had. Then I had a Mark II Jetta Coupe. That was Ooh. pretty weird, I guess. Uh, it was all right. Um, what else did I have? A lot of Volvos. You had, had a TT? Had a TT. Oh, really? Uh, which, TT got, which got sold for a pretty good reason. Yeah. So I, uh, when I had that, um, that's when I met my now wife. And I was like, I, I don't want to go into debt over, like, a nice ring. And I don't want to get, like, something really crappy. So I sold my car. And bought a nice ring for her, well, which she nice. still has today. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's good. What's the of all the cars you've owned? What's the what's the worst? The most frustrating? The worst car you've ever owned? Because you've had some bad stuff happen to you. I mean, they're just like motors blowing up. Um, you know, I mean, there's been some bad things. Man, that's. Uh, I think the worst car for me is not the worst because of it, like broke down or anything, but the worst just because it was boring. So I had a Plymouth Acclaim as one of my first vehicles, and it was just like, meh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a car. That's what that sound, that car makes. <laughs> <laughs> is the Acclaim the Dodge Neon equivalent? No, it was like a, man. Re- Dodge, like a Reliant? And if I had my phone, I know what it looks like. I can see it in my head. It's, right, it I'm is trying rah. to. Yeah. Like, it is the Plymouth Rock. It's, it's like the it's next the generation. Plymouth. You know, like a K car. It's right. like the next generation of I, whatever that yes. was. So. Okay. So you ended up on the the Porsche road, and I don't know if any of it was because we went on this crazy experience. You won. Uh, you won a contest to yeah. go drive at the Barber Motorsports Park, and I don't, was that kind of where things like kicked off with Porsche for you? Is Obviously, you rode into the contest because you loved Porsche already. Right. Yeah. But what was kind of the seed? Because now you have a 914 but, mm-hmm. and, a, and, a, and a Cayenne. What was the seed to really dive into Porsche? Uh, probably the combination of that trip that we took and, like, getting to experience all these, like, new Porsches that were so much fun to drive. And then also, like, you then, like, shifting gears after that and selling your Scirocco and getting a 911 and all that stuff. I was like... Man, these are some really cool cars, and what could I afford that that has a Porsche badge, kind of, and so that's also a Volkswagen, kind of, because I also love Volkswagens, and so uh, I was when I was looking for the nine four for a car, I guess I was looking between nine fourteens, nine forty fours, and nine twenty fours, trying to find like whatever was like a cool project that was in my price range that was somewhat local, and um, I was ready, like I had not pulled the trigger, but basically I'd submitted my intent to buy a 944 in South Dakota. The person never got back to me, thankfully. And then someone, one of our contacts who's maybe listening right now and they're like, it was me, but they sent me an email or a, they sent it to me in like an instant message or something like that. Overnight, someone posted this 914 for sale on Craigslist. I saw it like when I was like getting ready for work in the morning. So I emailed these people immediately because it was like a thousand bucks or something for this 914. Them sitting in the garage for 30 years. Wow. And uh, it was, it was solid because, you know, a lot of these cars, the 914s are not built like 911s, which, I mean, it's not like news to you guys, uh, but you know, some people like listening. I heard the 914 was a mid-engine sports car that's superior to a 911 in every way. Well, I mean, in 1970 (laughs) and uh, the 24 hours of Le Mans, it was. But but anyway, so like these things rust really, really bad. I know your car rusts and your car rusts as well, but the 914s are like designed to rust. Like if you're in like... They're not galvanized or anything. Right. If you're in Arizona and it's never seen moisture, it's still a rusty car. If it hasn't hasn't been like on a rotisserie being like getting a full rust on it. At all times. It has rust on it somewhere. (laughs) And so the the thing with this was the, the guy was like, yeah, you can take the top off and like the doors open fine. So I'm like, okay. So the bones most likely 
are pretty solid. If you can do a lot of these get held together by the target top or something. Yeah. So if you take the top off and open both of the, both of the doors and like stand in it, (laughs) a really bad, like nine fourteen will just fold in half or, or it'll flex enough that you won't be able to put the top back on. And so, so this car was solid. I could open the doors, stand on it and stand in the middle of it. And this thing would flex maybe a 16th of an inch. So I was like, all right, it's, was this like a car that these people have owned? Like you said for 30 years, was it their parents' car? What's the, it was a, Originally, it was a California car, and the guy brought it up in the early 80s, I think it was. And uh, he drove it around. You know, it had some modifications done to it, so it came as a 1.7. There was a popular mod that people did where they would replace the pistons and cylinders, and it would bump it up to a 1.9. But it was like the cylinders kind of had a, a thin lip on the, on the top of them, so it would fit with the stock 1.7 heads. And those are like notoriously bad and they just break. And so it's not a good mod and it's not like robust, but it's something they did. And, you know, it kept running throughout the time that I had it. Um, till it didn't. Until, <laughs> until recently. But uh, yeah, so, you know, he had, he had done some, he did the 1.9 mod and then a few other small things, but nothing crazy. But Why did it sit for so long? He, uh, he let his brother use it. This is the story I got. Uh, I don't know if it's true. It maybe is. But uh, he let his brother use it at some point and his brother slid through an intersection banged up the front end and then uh, he just parked it and he's like all right i'm gonna fix it in the spring because normally he would park it in the winter time and so he's like i'll fix it in the spring and then he just never got around to it the next year he's like oh i'll do it next year and then it just snowballed and pretty soon it's just a car sitting in a garage that is covered in you know rat feces (laughs) the interior was completely chewed and just nasty and uh, it, it needed a full down scrub and take apart and rebuild. So that's basically what I did to it. And that's one thing that I've always noticed about you is you, you're willing to try almost anything before you'll pay somebody else to do it. Like your steering wheels that you've done, you've restitched steering wheels, you've done, you've done some seat work with upholstery and all these things that you're willing to give it a shot. And I, yeah. that's one thing that I've always really respected about you is, is your, uh, your desire to at least try to accomplish it yourself and I've always really loved that. And it seems like you've been pouring that into the 914. Yeah, I've been, uh, you know, learning new things. Whenever I can learn a, a skill, it's just like, it's free money. You know, it's, it's something like you that you can do. do and then you have the the accomplishment of doing it yourself. And like, I did that. I rebuilt that. Like when I did the, the Hoyer timers in it, I was like, you know what? I got these cheap, you know, stopwatches that have this, you know, badge on it that's really cool. I want to learn how to rebuild them. So I just took one apart and like took a bunch of photos and rebuilt the stopwatch. And I'm like, hey, that was not bad. So I did a couple more. And, and it's been like that with basically everything on the car. Well, not everything. Because, you know, a lot of the stuff that I've I've built, I've done it before with the rabbits or with yep. like, you know, working on Volvos and stuff. So I, I know like a lot of the basics and it's kind of been building. And yeah, when I was as long young, as it doesn't need a machine shop, you can pretty much have a go. Right, right. So... The 914 is obviously, was it as special to you before you got it as it is now? Or is it something that you really, because I want to talk about a project that you're working on a minute. I want to try and figure out why you like the 914 so much. Yeah, well, it's, like I said, when I was looking for cars, it was just because that was in my budget. And so there was, there was nothing, I knew that they had problem areas specifically under the battery area. And so I knew that it was bad, that they had like some, it was kind of a problem child but I also knew that it was in my budget and it could be a really fun car. Likewise with the 944s and 924s, they have some really bad points to them, you know, bad ownership experiences. But when they're done right, they can be really fun. Uh, the 914, like I got it and um, certainly has grown on me and I love it now. And it's like something about it being an underdog. You know, I, yeah. I look at a lot of these cars and and just like rooting for the underdog like okay this thing is is you know it was cheap it was meant for you know young people to buy young people to be able to afford not just to buy and to have fun with and you know take the top off i don't but you know a lot of people take the top off and drive around it's just like a fun little car and so i was like all right that's so appealing i remember when i drove your car and i remember you you being like well it's not a 911 blah 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 and you know what when I drove it, it didn't matter. And it didn't matter. It's it's this constant comparison of the 914 and the 911 and even like the 912 stuff that doesn't need comparison. Right. You don't need to compare the two all the time. They, they have their own unique uh, 
specialties. I really enjoyed your car. I enjoyed the way it sounded. I liked the driving position. I liked the way the steering and the gearbox felt. The gearbox was weird, but it was kind of cool <laughs> yeah. with, the, with the dog leg situation. I, I really liked it just as it was. It didn't need or bear any reason to be compared to anything else. And I think that the 914 stands on its own as a it's finally being recognized as a great car versus yeah. something that's just like, ah, well. And the problem is, is that for the longest time, they were kind of seen as like, well, it's just this bastard car. And that's why they all ended up on, in these garages to rust away. And they were all like $100, right? For right. the longest mm -hmm. time, yeah. they were so cheap. And because every single one of them, you'd reach into that hellhole and your hand would go right through. Yeah. You know, And they, they were so rusty and ruined. And now there's none left. Yeah, yeah, they're getting they're, they're more rare. Yeah, certainly. they're more rare. Well, they they're all disappear. coming up in value too. Certainly. Well, yeah. a rising tide raises all ships, right? So now yep. that the nine the nine elevens went crazy, well, I can't afford one of those, so I'll get the nine fourteen. That's the right. next best it's thing. Also or the nine four four. Yeah, yeah, that, it kind of fits yeah. in. It has the Porsche uh, enigma to it, right? Yeah. It's got the mystique of of the Porsche with the history, and there's history with the car with the racing pedigree, like you said at Le Mans. And you know, there's cool stories. We talked about one about like the the fire engine car yeah. and yep. all these different things. It has history. And it has uh, it has that uh, heart in it, and that's what makes it really cool. And I just I don't I don't think it's fair that everybody you knows compares right. it to a 911. And when they were building these things, they didn't build it to be you know a little 911. You know, they built it to be its own car. It's got modern like compared to the 911. It's got these squared off like features that are like you know a, a lot of times non Porsche people see these things and just like. Uh, that's not an attractive car. But then the more you look at it, the more you experience the car and you sit in them and drive in them, you start to really appreciate the, the quirkiness of all, a lot of these features and design things. And it's, it's cool to see that a lot of people, more people are appreciating it that now. Yeah. It's really cool in that way. And it's, if you want to talk about a car that's meant to be almost a 911, but not a 911, that's probably the 912 yeah. is probably the one that you'd say that, but it definitely wouldn't apply to the 914. Now, you have a very special project that you're working on, which is kind of like, almost seems like a secret, <laughs> but you can talk about it now, I can right? talk about it. What's I, going uh, on? Tell me about this, this project that you're working on. This Who is you're news to with. me. Yeah, this is news to almost everybody that's listening. All right. So, so this tell is, me all about this project. This is, um, you know, before I get there, there's a lot of the things that I've been involved with that have kind of stemmed from my work with like the 914 with like illustrations and drawings and stuff. And with triple zero. And, and with right? triple zero. Yeah. So that was one of the things is, you know, Pete is, you know, a really cool guy and he's experienced. Pete Stout, he's the editor at triple zero. Pete Stout, editor at triple zero. <laughs> he's experienced all these like amazing cars, Carrera GTs, you know, roof, you know, CTR, the yellow bird, like he's driven this. And yet he's, you know, his first Porsche was a 914 and he still has it and he's, you know, I've, got a six in it now. And I've driven like, that car. It's awesome. Oh, it's man. so fun. I can't wait to get a six in mine. Oh, it's great, man. <laughs> it's so great. And so, uh, so talking with him and like having the opportunity to, you know, do stuff with triple zero has been, man, what a blessing. And then, you know, the first, you know, issue that I was involved with, we, we did a 914. And so, so what are you doing? So what are, what are you doing at the trip for triple zero? So triple zero, there's uh, one section and in, in previous years, uh, they called it the build where I would work with, um, you know, Pete and Alex, and we would kind of devise like a what if car, like design this thing. And like, what if we could, you know, pull out all the stops? What if there's no like limit to money or whatever? What kind of car would we build? And we'd pick a model and go from there. And so we did the 914 first and we've done, you know, 996. We did uh, 930 and we did, we've done a bunch of these different models and kind of gone over a lot of the years and uh, in recent last few issues. And then I guess going forward, it's kind of changed to a spec V spec, so they get a they develop like a a spec, a spec of a car that they want that they would have purchased from the factory, brand new, um, with the, all the options and wheels and colors and all that stuff that they want, and then they get kind of what we would call a guest specker, which would come in as someone who's very knowledgeable in that vehicle, and uh, they would kind of develop their own spec, and then. Uh, I do the, all the illustrations that would show one versus the other, different angles and interiors and all that. Kind yeah, of it's stuff. it's super cool. And seeing the, what you post on Instagram has been great too. And one thing that I noticed you've been doing is cars are getting dirty yeah. on your Instagram, <laughs> which is one thing where you, when you're looking at renters, I, when I scroll by some and I see a car and I'm like, well, I think it's real. And then I see it's you 
And that's one of the only tip-offs that I know it's yeah. not real is that I know it's you. It's a, it's a render. It's an illustration. Right. But now that things are getting dirty, it's even looking more real. It's almost like they were too clean before. Now that you've put a little bit of yeah, the, little bit of earth on them. It's so the render world is kind of strange. Like most of the guys that do uh, rendering, these guys, like their goal, like their ultimate goal is to make a picture that looks just like a photograph. And so... Like when they're winning, they're getting like a picture that people just think is a photograph. And, and so, that's hard because the human eye, whether you know it or not, knows what real looks like. Right. Mm-hmm. Your brain just can say, well, yes, that's real. And it's not necessarily something that's even a conscious thought. You just see it and you go, well, that's something. Something is wrong with that. I can't right. really pick out what it is in my head. And that's what I asked you the other day, um, maybe like a couple weeks ago. I was like, what, what is it about it that makes me know that it's not real? Uh, well, I guess that's kind of where I diverge from the standard rendering crowd. Like, I don't really concern myself too much about making it real, make like tricking people. Like, that's not my goal. I just want to express some sort of like artistic like design or like, you know, some of the cars I do, I'll do like wild colors or like, okay, if you had a 959 and you wanted to, you know, paint it like a bowling ball, like I can do that and I can make <laughs> it look cool. And like, like that's something where I know that, um, when someone is scrolling by and they see, and they see something like that, I know they don't think it's real, but I know they think it's probably pretty dang cool. Yeah, it definitely is. It definitely is. And you have this thing where you like to redo the mechanical side of things too, like throttle bodies and yeah. like the engines themselves and these exploded diagrams. Do you have to measure like every single, do you sit there with a caliper for like two yeah. hours and just measure everything? How do you yeah. get that stuff to look so good? Uh, yeah, basically, yeah. So all the the mechanical stuff that I do, like the engine, that thing, I, I took this engine apart piece by piece, brought it and this in. This is your my, flat six engine? Yeah, flat six engine. I brought uh, individual pieces in inside the house, cleaned them all up, and then sat there and measured and uh, remodeled this from scratch. And then eventually I have essentially the whole engine. There's a few parts that are missing, and like the inside of the cases aren't. Do you get gas at anything, or are you... Uh, what kind of stuff can you guess? It's at? a combination. So I will anything that I can measure or anything that has like listed specs. Like okay, the bore is this. Then I know like that's you know that's the nominal size that I want to go with. If it's something that I can't measure, like a lot of times when it's complex curvature, like how like the case kind of flows around, like some different things, I have to use my best judgment for, as like a like train. where the oil tubes go and that kind of curvy area down in there. Right. Area. Yeah. So I have to, you know, I'm I'm a mechanical designer by trade, so I I know how you know the manufacturing process works, and I know how um, like the process or like the things that these parts are like intending to do. I know like their purpose, so then I can kind of guess kind of where mostly because of like the Porsche design <laughs> but the like ethos? For, yeah the ethos where it's like they don't design something in there just to have it right you know they, they everything has a purpose and like what that curvature is there for it has like there's some sort of purpose and figure out what that purpose is and then I can kind of build and design around that all right so tell us who Soon Kang is and how you got to know him <laughs> Uh, so he is, uh, most of the listeners would know him as Han from the Fast and Furious franchise. And hold on, before we get into the project, how, have you asked him how he's actually alive in the movie? <laughs> <laughs> because I, I have to know how he's alive in the new movie. <laughs> no, I... Uh, <laughs> You'll have to pass that along, I must I, know. <laughs> uh, he might listen to this. He's he's big into 914, so uh, he'll, he'll probably listen. I, I try to keep the, the shop talk out of it, like... I'm sure he gets it yeah, from like everyone. It's, like, it's from all angles. You know, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just kidding around. So how did you get to know him with the, with the Porsche stuff and everything? So I had done some work for uh, MZR Road Sports, who is kind of like the singer vehicle design of 240Z. Okay. So they have like a retro yeah, like it's, restoration it's a, it's thing. a resto mod, and it's like really well-done cars. And um, so I had done a bunch of illustrations, did CAD work for them, and and um, so the guy that uh, runs MZR, Rahil, is is good friends with uh, Sung. So um, they talk all the time, business and not business. And um, I ended my, my work with MZR, you know, good terms and everything. Um, and Sung had talked to him. It's like, hey, I got this 914 I'm looking at, and, like, I really like it. And and he was like, oh, man, you should talk to Glenn. He's this guy that does all these rendering th- stuff for me. So I'm like, so he's like, all right. So he contacted me. And I was like, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little star So he kind of he, yeah. he gave me the, yeah, the rundown of the project that he, he wanted to do. And he's like, what I don't, know, I don't know if project? you have time, but this is what I'm doing. And I'm like, well, considering it's like my car, one, 
It's, <laughs> it's a car that I'm like deep, deeply passionate about. And, um, and like this, uh, kind of a wing of like modifications that I'm also deeply passionate about. And I was like, of course I will make time for this. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so what is this project? Tell us what's going on. What are you, what are you guys doing together? All right. So it's called Viceroy 914 and, um, it's going to be a run of 10 cars or 11, I guess, if you count the, uh, the, the, the prototype, kind of the build R and D car. Um, but it's, uh, these are cars that are going to be built to kind of the, in the same vein as Singer 911s, but not, um, I guess it's, it's kind of, you know, this isn't from sung at all, but in what I'm gathering from this is it's kind of aiming in between RWB and uh, Singer, but leaning more towards Singer. So this is going to be, uh, designs and parts and things that are, you know, fully like hashed out on the racetrack. These aren't going to be just bolt on, you know, flares and just go for it and like hacksaw out fenders. Um, but it's going to be built to a high level. And so these are all going to have sixes, uh, I believe, at this point. There's talk of different engines as well, but um, right now I believe they're all going to be sixes. These are going to be flared, um, but it's going to be kind of our own. It's not going to be a GT flare um, like like the 914.6 GTs. It's going to be a bolt-on flare, but it's going to be hidden hardware, and it's going to have a seam kind of like on the 934s. Okay. Uh, I mean, without hardware, of course. Um, <laughs> a bunch of really cool design work that's going to kind of set it apart, and it's not going to be, um, it's not going to be, you know, kind of with the singers, if someone wants a specific, like the singer spoiler or the singer wheels or something, like, you can't just buy those from singer. Right, right. So that's kind of a, where this diverges a lot is like a lot of these parts are going to be able to be purchasable kind of, uh, piecemeal by like enthusiasts. So if you say, you know what, I want, I want those flares, but you know what, you can hold on to the spoiler or the, those scoops right there. You can just have these flares and then they'll bolt up to your car. Or if you're like, Oh, I want these center lock wheels and like the whole suspension setup, but I'm not really big on all like the, the stuff that makes it look cool. Like I just want it to want to put it on a stock GT looking car. You can do that too. And so it's kind of, uh, after the run of the 10 cars, then like the parts will be available to purchase and it'll be. So what are you working on now with this project? What's the current thing uh, that you're working so on? So it's a lot of uh, design and, and prototyping right now. So are you guys th- 3d printing anything to see uh, what it looks like or how do, what's the designing and prototype process like? Uh, so we haven't 3d printed anything yet. Uh, the first uh, part of the design um, that kind of like our first call on my first call was song that he was, he really liked was a steering wheel that I had designed two years ago and I put it, I did a single post on my Instagram and put up a picture of the steering wheel and it was like, it's pretty cool looking, you know, right? And so uh, what he didn't know and um, what I shared with him later was that maybe a week or two before that, I was contacted by a different company who was like, hey, we make steering wheels. We're a small company. We love this thing. We want to like partner with you and like actually get it built. So this was like all kind of like coming and like talking with them and like kind of nailing down some details when he's like, you know, I want the steering wheel for, this is going to be the steering wheel for the Viceroy 914. Like, all right, well, you wouldn't believe it, but <laughs> <laughs> I already got someone like in, interested in building this thing. So it's been, great. it's been a really good uh, relationship with, uh, with Sung and Viceroy and then working with Tactical and uh, getting like the prototype built. And so that is. So where's the prototyping built? Where is this happening? Uh, so, uh, Tactical builds all their wheels in Italy. And so that's where the prototype is right now. Uh, last I heard it's in process and, um, we'll, we'll get to see it at some point. Um, I have an attorney that I've, uh, hired that we're working on all the legal stuff to make sure that, you know, I own the, the design and the rights to this thing. And that it's something I can hand down as a kind of a legacy. And yeah, man. so wow. it, it'll be really, really cool once it's, uh, once it's built and once we can show the world, um, which I Probably can now, but I'll just not until I make sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's for, for sure. So, what's the timeline looking like on this? When when should we expect to see the first of the ten cars? Ooh, that's a good question that I don't really have an answer to. No, that's okay. <laughs> so, I just, I'm just kind so, of excited to see it. You know, obviously, we want to get this stuff built. You know, like we're all excited about this. Like Sung is like he's such a cool guy, and he's like totally on board like the 914 train he gets it he's not <laughs> you know a lot of the people are like oh the 914 yeah it's it's popular now i guess i could get on board with that but he's like he's he's really got it and so um 
we're hoping, I think we'll be able to show some stuff maybe in the next uh, few months. You'll be able to see some pictures. Um, I did, uh, the the front wheel is public. It's a four-spoke kind of Fuchs-style design. With yeah, it's unique. I like it a lot. And we're working through some design challenges with that because, um, you know, as I said, we want this to be, you know, attainable for people. And if someone wants that wheel design but maybe doesn't want to switch over to, like, a full center lock race setup, we want to have, like, a lugged version available. And so right. we're kind of working through some challenges there to see how, you know, we can make a four-lug or a five-lug four-spoke uh, Fuchs style wheel work and is that are there's got to be a lot of challenges that are similar to like like I really want to do this but how do I make it work that's got to be the biggest challenge of doing something custom like this right and like I can I can visualize really really well uh, both mechanically and like design wise I can see something in my mind and like put it down in, into a, a 3d model and like show people and that's not something that like everyone has so when someone says okay I like this four spoke Fuchs wheel but I want it to be five log and it's like okay how is That's that going to work? work. <laughs> and so like, okay, what can you do? You have like a big center area that has like the five lugs and then that ruins the whole uh, mm -hmm. look of the, of the wheel. And so, so that's a challenge we're working, working through. And then, you know, we're, this interior is going to be totally, really, really cool. Uh, a lot of stuff and it's, it's all, you know, we want this to be a good homage to the 914. And so we're not just going to, you know, throw something in there because it performs well on the track or because it looks really cool. Like we want like stuff to have a purpose and form to actually follow function, right? Form to follow function, but also like to be, you know, built at a really high end and high level. That's going to, you know, demand the prices that these cars are going to pull. So what? speaking of building things to a high level, we were just talking about how a lot of these cars don't exist anymore. And the ones that do are not in the greatest shape. Are they sourcing chassis now that are basically going to be completely rebuilt? Yeah, or? all of the cars are going to be full, like, rotisserie, you know, rest restored. And, like, you know, the R&D car that he, that he got, uh, he, it's called Ryan because the owner that he bought it from, his name was Ryan, or is Ryan, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like it was, it was a car that was advertised as rust-free California car. Uh -huh. But oh, like, yeah. like all nine fourteens that haven't been on a rotisserie, there was rust. And uh, Sung found it like underneath the passenger seat, like right in the floorboards, and where you don't really see it unless you have the full interior out and you're getting ready to strip this thing down. And then he saw it, and and if you're doing any of these cars, it's got to be brand new. Yeah, it's got to so, be a brand new car. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so fortunately. Uh, you know, there's a lot of really high quality uh, replacement or reproduction sheet metal that's available. Um, restoration design, which yeah. I know you've had yeah. some experiences with. Yeah, I've had some experiences. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And so, yeah, these will all be all be full full cars that are built up. These aren't just you know cleaned up and yeah. parts bolted yeah. on them. Well, I'm really excited to see it. Um, I'm going to make you show me after we get off the podcast. Same. I really want to see what this, <laughs> see what this thing looks like. Where can people find out? more about this project that you guys are working on? Uh, right now, it's kind of low-key. It's all on Instagram. Uh, Viceroy Bespoke Motorsport is the the official Instagram page of that. You can also check out Sung's Garage or you know follow my page, uh, glenn.cordal. Right. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, before we go, I want to talk about a few different... Uh, Get your opinion on a few of our best ofs sure. that we've had. In the, go ahead, go but ahead. before we do that, we got to talk about our sponsor, Oberk Car Care. Oberk is a Midwest manufacturer of polishing compounds and supplies that is researched, tested, and developed by professional detailers themselves. Oberk products are designed to decimate swirls, holograms, and oxidation on your vehicle's paint. And right now, Obrick is offering a 20% off order online with the code OVERCREST. The discount code is not only good at OBRKCARCARE.com, but also on CarSuppliesWarehouse.com and DetailedImage.com. And it's such a great setup that Obrick has. It's a two-polish system. It's really easy for a guy like me or even Chris to figure out. So you guys should go check it out. What do you mean, even, Chris? I don't know. Jeez. You were able hardcore. to figure it out. I was. I was <laughs> able to figure it out. All right. So what do you think is the best four-cylinder engine of all time? Uh, best four-cylinder engine. Uh, I haven't thoroughly thought this through. And I typically on stuff like this, I would like to think about all like the pros and cons of several different things. I had a day to think about this. And so I'm going to say the Volvo B21, the red block motor. That well, was on the list. Was it? Yep. No, it wasn't. 
What? No, it wasn't. That I was thought it was. Else. No, it wasn't. But it, it's a great motor. What's what, Why that motor? Uh, well, they're bulletproof. They came with so many options. You could do single single overhead cam, dual, turbo, all sorts of different stuff is yeah. working. It's very and versatile. It's, and you can't, they're, they just, they don't blow up. Right. And they're uh, non-interference. Right. And so it's like, So right, even if you slip a belt or anything, you're good to go. You're good to go. Put a new one on, time it. You're I've good. heard that about ABA engines and I've experienced, <laughs> I've experienced bent valves on it. I think we've lost a timing belt on an ABA at some point in my life. It's, Probably, it, but I mean, your ABAs aren't exactly stock. They're like <laughs> decked in huge right. lift. Best car from the 80s. Best 80s car of all time. Best 80s car is the 959. Why? Why do you choose the 959? Because, and you'll see this on my best 90s car as well, because of the technical advancement that came from that car. The things that they tried and worked, some of them maybe didn't work as well as I hoped. But the things uh, that they did that are carried through into cars, like even today, like I think that you know it's a it's a monster for the time too. It was a. Great Do you think it's held car. up? Do you think the nine five nine is held up over time as that it deserves that? I think so. Okay, because you look at something like the the F forty, which is its direct comparison, yeah. which is now seen as far more valuable yeah. and desirable than a nine five nine. But as an engineer, I can understand that you know with all the technical advancements that there were in that car. I mean, it, it had ABS and yeah. I mean it had that crazy four wheel drive system and everything mm-hmm. that right those was, hollow spoke wheels. I was like, man, yeah, for sure, all sorts of weird stuff. All right, best nineties car of all time. Nineties car, McLaren F one. That's yeah, hard to argue with that. Yeah, that's that's pretty that's a pretty good choice <laughs> for like many of the same reasons as as the nine five nine. Just the technological technological advancement and like the cool stuff that it just hey, let's put the mid- seat in the middle. Let's do that. I think the. Do the, you remember first like seeing that or hearing about that? It's like that's so what? wild. Yeah. Well, the thing is, back then when you wanted to hear or see about anything, you had to look in a book and find it or in a magazine. <laughs> do you guys go, remember oh the God. trifold little pamphlets? You know. With all the different cars on them, I don't know who produced that. No, I don't. You guys don't. didn't have these. I didn't. No, no. Didn't have those. Oh, missing out. And I think that was one of the last great supercars. I mean, it's it, you can go with like you can say the F40 is too, but the anything after the McLaren seemed like it got less and less uh, analog. Right. And there was more and more things in between you as the driver yeah. and the road surface. There's more and more things that were in the way, whether it's you know drive by wire versus drive by cable or uh, you know, I don't. Did that thing even have ABS? I wonder if it had ABS. I'm not sure. I I, I wouldn't put it past it to not have ABS, <laughs> or at least be able to turn it off. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So the best car for the apocalypse. Uh, best apocalypse car would be the Jeep 4.0 XJ. It's just Cherokee. a tractor engine. That thing just runs because, forever. All right. You sent me this image, and you maybe posted on like the overcast stuff uh, on the pages where a guy had a cylinder head and he was uh, resurfacing it. <laughs> On the pavement, yeah. and it's like that could actually maybe work on a four point oh. So it's like for that reason, like that motor is a, a pretty rock solid motor. So that uh, plus it's a capable vehicle. Yeah, very mm-hmm. capable. And you you lift it a little bit. Is yeah. it has a lot of windows? Yeah, that's true. You know, I think you're going to have to do something about the windows. I mean, you could just. If it's the apocalypse, you can just take sheet metal and screw I mean, it sure. in. Wait a second. Is this like or, zombie apocalypse or just know. like regular old apocalypse? Uh, well, zombies will what eat it, you. Hold on. What is a regular old apocalypse? Chris? <laughs> you know, they run in the mill. <laughs> <laughs> What's, uh, here's the question. What's worth zombies or a hungry, desperate human being? Oh. I would argue that the human being with its ability to think critically. Okay. And you'd feel a little dangerous. worse about that's shooting That's a valid them. argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Maybe not. Not in that. If they're trying to come for anything that's in your Jeep, yeah, I I'm suppose. not going to feel any differently <laughs> between them and a zombie. All right. The best movie car. Movie car goes to one of my favorite movies of all time, Christine. Yes. That was on our list. <laughs> yeah. It was. That is a creepy, creepy movie. Yeah. Did you ever read the book? I never read the book. Holy cow, man. I started to, but then I was like, you know, I already saw the movie, and so it's... It's going to be so much better. It's going to ruin the movie for me. So I just didn't even read it. Yeah. There's the, the one scene in the movie where, um, what's the kid's name? I can't think uh, of the, the uh, I can't think of his name. It doesn't matter. He's the kid that's basically haunted by Christine yeah. is driving the car and he's talking and the car is driving itself and he's talking about how much you can love it. And the dude in the passenger seat's like, <laughs> yep. And then the car just like sets we, people on fire. We played it. that clip oh, on yeah. that episode. Oh yeah. So creepy. Um, yeah. Glenn. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast Dude, and thanks reminiscing. Thanks for having me. And uh, everybody head over to, uh, what was the uh, Instagram again to check out the Viceroy? Uh, Viceroy Bespoke Motorsport. Check it out. I think we're going to be seeing some good things from those guys. Uh, we can probably talk about this again when the car comes out, when it's released. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to uh, for, for me to badger you into showing it to me after <laughs> yeah. you get off the air. Right Please on. head over to patreon.com slash overcrest. Support the show for just 
five dollars it's the same as like a coffee or red bull or anything else it's only five dollars there's lots of exclusive content on there plus you get to support the uh creators that you love glenn thanks again we appreciate you coming in thanks for having me we'll see you guys on monday take care